And now. And now, introducing the one, the only. Now let me introduce to you. Lively talk with successful people, barely filtered. This is the Jenna Ben Show. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to The Jenna Ben Show. I'm Jenna Benamine, your host. And with us today, guys, I have Nate Boyer, former special ops military man, uh, NFL player, and now host for the NFL Network, Yahoo Sports, producer, real estate developer, and co-founder of two thriving charities for veterans and clean water. To quote Tyron Woodley, the man is a beast. <laughs> How you doing, Nate? I'm good. I don't know about real estate developer. I mean, you're doing your thing on the side. I know that personally, <laughs> but you do it for investments. Yeah. A, 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 I mean, very little. That's not really, I wouldn't call that a gig, but that's okay. Okay. But what I want to say, guys, about Nate, and you'll probably notice this throughout the interview, is he is the most humble motherfucker you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, he downplays all of his stuff, but but you are truly a beast. Can we just agree on that? Okay. I'll take this. Okay. Appreciate it. <laughs> all right. Awesome. So, um, All right. Nate and I actually met earlier this year at a friend's barbecue, and then we went to Sports Spectacular. And I just want to say, Nate was one of the coolest, most supportive people I could have had. I I was actually Nate's guest that night. And Nate, you were so supportive of me and uh, and my quest to really develop the show further and meet new people. And I remember sitting with you at the table and being like, oh, there's Tyron Woodley or um, or God, Dana White. And you're like, and, and we had just the, sat down to eat and you were like, go for it, go now. And you were so selfless with your time because it was all about you supporting me in that moment. And I just, I will never forget that. So you got to just, you know what, that's, I think that's one thing that people uh, are a little nervous to do. And I I mean, I myself fall in the same trap of like, you know, worrying about the result of something instead of just putting yourself out there, you know, and sometimes it's as simple as just picking up the phone and calling. Yeah. Uh, Whether that's a personal thing with family or whether that's like a dream you have in business mm-hmm. and just like pushing the numbers on that phone and waiting for the ring and then see what happens and the same thing when you're in those situations you have an opportunity to go up to somebody that you mm-hmm. look up to or someone that you want to uh maybe you know if you have a show i wouldn't have on your show or whatever it is yeah and we just don't do it because we're like oh they're just it's just you know I, i'm nobody compared to them or exactly. whatever and it's just silly because we're all human beings yeah so yeah you know um in exposure therapy, the the whole idea is you 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 try what it is that you're afraid of, and then you get over it, right? So it's like if you don't put yourself out there, you won't achieve results, and so it's you know kind of what you're saying. And um, and so long story short, guys, that's why it was so important for me to get Nate Boyer on the show today <laughs> because you know I fast forward, I've actually been in touch with Dana White, and he's coming on the show in January. Nice. And, you know, yeah, and I, I've gotten involved with UFC. It's just all this crazy stuff is happening. And so, you know, I want to give you some credit for that. that this is not, I can't take credit <laughs> for that. I literally, that's awesome, though. So, um, you guys, here on the Jenna Ben Show, we get into my accomplished guest professional stories. So where they got their start, how they achieved success, where they stumbled, what they learned along the way, and what's next. Stick with us for the next hour as we get to know Nate Boyer's incredible story. Okay, so let's jump right in. Give us a little background about you. Where are you from? How old are you? 38, almost 39. Yes. Uh, I grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay, but I was born in Tennessee. Uh, My dad is a racehorse veterinarian, and he went to veterinary school at University of Tennessee. I love it. And my mom is an environmental engineer, and she 
was working in Tennessee uh, when I was bored at a lab out there. And then we moved to the Bay Area. She went and got her PhD at Berkeley. My dad started working at Golden Gate Fields, which is the racetrack up there in Berkeley where he still works today. Wow. And so grew up there. And I had awesome, I mean, I was super lucky. I had awesome parents, really hardworking. Like they, they, they made it all themselves. You know what I mean? Mm. Like they, they were just very blue collar and very smart, um, but, but definitely hustlers. And so I had that. At the same time, I rebelled a bit and I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to do all these things that I was sort of set up for yeah. uh, because I wanted to find my own way, I think, like mm. in retrospect. I didn't realize at the time, I thought I was just like, I don't need that. I don't need this. And it was really just wanting to do it myself. You know what I mean? Mm. And like almost feeling um, g- guilty for having a, a, a good family and a good opportunity like that. You know right. what I mean? Like deep down. And I don't know if I noticed it at the time, but I think that's what that was. So I moved to San Diego after high school. A couple of buddies who were going to go to firefighter school that I went to high school with. Mm. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. So I moved down with them. <laughs> You're went, like, I'll try that. I'll try that. And I went to firefighter school for like a semester. And it was, I mean, it was awesome. But I just wasn't ready to like grow up and kind of yeah. have a career. You know, I mean, I was 19. So I started working on a fishing boat down there. Uh, did that for like a year and mm. loved it. Um, but that, Did you fish growing up? Just like my dad would take me fishing once in a while, stuff like that. So You're this so was funny. like You're it, so go with the flow. <laughs> just yeah. I just walked down that boat, BS my way into a job. Yeah. Definitely like threw up day one. No. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. <laughs> From seasickness. Sick. Yeah. Uh-huh. But uh they gave me an opportunity and so I did that for like a year. And I and I loved it because it was it was finding my own way. It was like building my own blue collar story, sort mm. of. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I knew I was going to do it. I knew I wasn't going to do it forever. And it was that at that time that I moved up to Los Angeles, interested even way back then in film and television. Mm. Um, I'd been here about a year, and was mostly just like partying and stuff. And that's when nine eleven happened. And so I didn't join the military right away, but it definitely set me in that set things in motion to head in that direction. Mm. I started traveling quite a bit. Um, I'd come back here, fall back into the party life stuff. Uh, and then, you know, work and save money up and then go back over, uh, whether it was like Central America or Europe or somewhere like that, which was cool. I was learning and exploring, but I didn't really have a purpose. I wasn't doing anything mm. uh, until eventually I ended up going to the Darfur in Sudan and did some relief work out there. Um, and it was that time that I knew for sure when I came back, I was going to join the military because being in a third world country, like uh, those people that just don't have the opportunities we have here mm. uh you know and and wanting to like fight for people like that you know yeah so i did end up joining the military after that experience but it was 9-11 that sort of got me first thinking about it but that's it's so interesting because you know as you described you you had everything kind of like ready for you so as you're kind of backpacking through life what are your parents saying to you i mean i put my mom through hell yeah i, I still do uh not intentionally but I mean, they both worked so hard so that uh, I would have everything set up for me, like you said. Yeah. And I just, I just wanted to do it my on my own. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think it took a while for my mom to understand where I was coming from and why I was acting like that. Mm. I think when I was really young, she thought I just had like a death wish. <laughs> <And> I was <laughs> like, you know, just uh, afraid of success or whatever it was. But mm. it was like. I just, I didn't know exactly what I wanted or who I was. Uh, I'm still figuring that out. But 
you know, I also I knew no matter what that I wanted to find my own path and sort of let the universe dictate a little bit about what mm. I do and and I wanted to learn about the world and I still want to. Yeah. And that sort of shapes the next move I make. So. Okay, so then you end up in the military. Mm. And you you had a really high rank, right? Can you and because I really yeah. don't know, so break not, it down. Not necessarily rank, but uh, the unit I was in was a, it was in a special forces unit. Mm-hmm. And when I joined, so when I was in Africa, when I was in the Darfur, my last week there, I got malaria, oh, and I got shit. it like really bad. And it was right before I was about to fly back, and uh, I got put up on this cot, and this family took care of me there. You know, and they wouldn't take anything from me. I was trying to, you know, I, was, I had a little bit of money and I was like, can I give you something? And they're like, no, you, you can't take anything. This is our culture. Like, we're going to take care of you. Wow. And they were so appreciative that I had gone over there and just tried to do some, you know, relief work or whatnot, and whatnot. And um, I, so I'm laying on this bed and there's a radio there on the bed and it, it had the, the BBC on it. It was the only station it got. So I was listening to BBC radio and it was this the second battle of Fallujah, which is like a very famous battle. And it was actually Marines, not army, which I ended up joining, but Marines that were going into this city, you know, trying to liberate these people. And I just knew f- at that time that I would come back and sign up for the military, but not really sure what. When I came back to the States, I started kind of looking into the different branches and I had found out that the army had just opened up this program uh, for the special forces where you could come in right off the street. You didn't have to have prior time in the military. Mm. And if you scored high enough on like a language aptitude and a, a physical test and um, like you took a psyche valve mm. and you took like the army intelligence test, all this stuff. And if you scored high enough, then uh, you'd get that contract. No guarantee that you're gonna become a Green Beret, but at least you get the opportunity to come in uh, pretty much after basic training in airborne school and go right to selection. So I signed up for that without knowing how hard it was going to be, mm. but I just knew I wanted to do that. Uh, their their motto was "De oppresso libera," which means to free the oppressed, and that just like really spoke to me at that time. Nice. And so I just went with it, and uh, fortunately, I learned discipline <laughs> in basic training <laughs> good, and like hard yeah. work and all that stuff because I had to, had a quick learning curve because I was not in good shape. Like I said, I wasn't taking care of myself back then. Mm. Um, but I really wanted to be a part of that unit. I wanted to be a Green Beret. I wanted to be in the Special Forces. And so that that drove me enough to where I knew I wouldn't quit. You know what I mean? And wow. that's that's pretty much what it is. If you took a lineup of people that were trying to be Green Berets, both you and I would like pick the ones that we think because of the way they look. Yes. And, they act, and we're going to be wrong about 50% of the time. It'll, it'll be some of the other guys sprinkled in that just have that mentality, you know, that mm. no matter what, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to take that next step. Um, and I'm, I'm going to die trying if I don't make it. So, don't so upstairs. that's kind of consistent with what's happening in combat sports. If you look at some of these heavyweight guys, mm. you know, they're straight up fat, <laughs> but they're also kicking butt, not yeah, to call right? anybody out, you know? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. No, I mean, it's not always the guy that just looks the most jacked. Yeah. You know? It's the same and same as sports, same with football. You know, some of these guys, you're just like that guy. I mean, you know, if. If uh, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning take their shirts off, and you had a lineup of mm. all the NFL players with their shirts off, uh, you're not gonna, you're not, you probably wouldn't even guess those guys are NFL players. Right. And they're both Hall of Famers and the best at their position ever. So now, why do you think that is? <laughs> um, I mean, it's there's more to that position playing quarterback too. It's much more about your arm and uh, you know your mentality, your accuracy, knowing the game, seeing things, vision. Um, but it's the same in fighting. It's the same in mm-hmm. baseball. Same in a lot of sports, and pretty much all sports. And the same in the military. 
it's like those intangibles that don't necessarily have anything to do with physical strength and muscle. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's sort of a mix of of other things, but I think more importantly is like your timing, your vision. And when I say vision, not just like you know, if you took an eye test, right? It's just like you see things people don't. You know, you got that's what they mm-hmm. say. You know, some, that guy's got eyes in the back of his head or whatever. Yeah, it's just some people sense they have a sense for stuff. And Interesting. They could, you know, and I mean, a, a great example of that boxing wise is Mayweather. You know, mm. I mean, he just doesn't get punched. Right. It's like he's, I mean, he's been doing it forever, and he's, he's, you know, he's never lost because he doesn't get punched because he's just so quick. He sees it coming before the person yeah. even starts to make that move. He just knows. You know, mm-hmm. and it's something that you can't teach it's just from experience you can't really coach that i also think um it's like that mental strength you know mm-hmm, for sure if you're mentally strong it's like you can literally do anything but how do you become mentally strong that's a good question what do you think i mean you have to go through trials you have to mm-hmm. fail you have to put yourself out there yeah um i mean and it can be that doesn't have to be in a physical sports too just like we were talking about earlier yeah you know when it comes to having that courage to go up to somebody and just have a conversation and and uh, uh, relate on a level that you think, oh, this person knows more about this world than me or mm. they're they're more experienced or they're, you know, they're in a different league or level than I am. Mm. But once you kind of get around them and just put yourself out there, even if you sound like an idiot once in a while, yeah. you feel more comfortable, you know, and you understand, and you start to feel confident, like, okay, I can do this. I can talk to anybody. Like, yeah. I, can, I can make it happen. And that's just through... You know, trials though, and a little bit of failure, and mm-hmm. like falling on your face, maybe. And you know, some people you're going to go up to, and they're just going to be pricks. <laughs> you know, right. There's just some people are like that. It's but, part of it, though. Yeah, it's part of it. But if you never set foot out there, and you never, you're never going to develop grit. You know, you only that's the only way you develop grit mm. is by um, kind of throwing yourself into the fire a bit, um, putting yourself in a situation that you're not even sure you can make it happen. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. you're like, well, I think I can do this, but I'm not quite sure. But you just go anyway and give it a shot go anyway i love it so okay so going back to the army you're speaking about it as though that's the first time you were truly inspired Hmm. Um, i mean i was inspired by sports growing up but Mm -hmm. i just wasn't that great of an athlete to be honest Mm -hmm. and i didn't couple the dream of being one with working hard you know what i mean with Mm. with with uh uh, a work ethic, I guess. Yeah. I just didn't have it. I didn't know. I didn't understand how much time it took, you know, and the repetitions and like, it's not just belief. I mean, people say that a lot. Like if you believe in yourself, you're going to accomplish anything. Yes. Yes. But you have but... to put a lot of work in. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That you have to like give yourself a reason to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say it all day long. It's almost like I feel the same way about, um, you know, belief in God even. Like you can say it, it doesn't mean you necessarily really feel it and believe mm-hmm. it. You can keep saying it and saying the right things and doing the right things, but you have to put the time in, explore it, and really like learn about that and kind of test, I guess, your faith to to, to build that true belief. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with a person and what they want to do for a living or a, or a relationship or whatever. Like you have to apply, you have to really apply yourself and commit to something and then just like, put the time and put the work in and it's uh it's it's not easy <laughs> it's just definitely not easy but I yeah. so growing up I had that passion for for sports um but I just didn't know how to apply myself in that sense mm-hmm. and, and through the military I developed that belief because of um 
the commitment to the team, you know, to, to the mission. Yeah. And then once I learned how to apply that to sports, that's where, that's why I ended up playing, you know, college football much later in life. And, yeah, which led you to the freaking NFL. I mean, I for like a second. But yeah. It doesn't matter though. Like <laughs> yeah. you made it. That's I was. I did my PhD for a second, but I still beat hundreds of other applicants to get in. Right. You know. So okay, we're gonna get to that in a second. Um, but I want to talk about your army experience. So what's some of the cool shit that happened? Uh, I mean, being in the special forces, you're very fortunate in the sense that you get to do things that, I mean, ninety nine. Point nine percent of people will never do, much less the military. Mm. I mean, I was on a, a HALO team, which stands for High Altitude Low Opening. So we did, you know, a lot of skydiving jumps, essentially. Oh wow! And uh, doing that, I mean, g- getting to shoot all different types of weapons, mm. learning about unconventional warfare, and then applying that on a deployment, training, advising, and assisting Afghan special forces and Iraqi SWAT teams and all these Damn. these other units where there's like big communication barrier, um, lack of resources. Uh, you know, they don't obviously have the education and finance uh, support, financial support that we have as a military and as a country, but a lot of them were very eager to, and just giving that, getting that opportunity to to try to coach them at some level and then fight alongside them was really was really cool. It's a very unique experience. Yeah, not everybody gets to do something like that, and it's challenging for sure. But uh, it's definitely rewarding when you see, especially a lot of those people, um, sort of take up that pride for defending what they have and you know wanting to fight for uh, American ideals and values, mm. even though they'll probably never experience uh, the, you know the great fortune that we have here at least trying, you know, at least right. doing what you can to, to try to give them a, a, a sense of hope is, was the most rewarding thing. Wow. How long did you do that for? I was in a total, uh, I was in five, five years on active duty. And then I did, uh, I took a, a few months off and then I w- went into the Texas National Guard while I was in college playing football. So when I was in college, I was still in and I would just deploy in the summertime. So I would go take my finals a little bit early in the spring and then go to Afghanistan for three and a half months or so Damn. and then come back and play football and go back to school. You're so gangster. <laughs> um, did you kill anyone? Don't ask that. Don't ask that. No. Okay. All right. We won't talk about that. So I think we got our answer. Um, yeah. I mean, you did what you had to do and you're a beast, man. Really. You trained. Uh, how did you stay mentally strong to really you know live that lifestyle because it's not you're not getting what we all need which is like love and fun and like how did you get your fulfillment i mean it's a different kind of love and fun it's there because you you have the camaraderie with the guys exactly you have the brotherhood you have that mission which is that sense of purpose is the most important thing i think Mm. um and it's a different kind of fun because of the, I mean, the level of adrenaline and adventure. And yes, it's like life and death, but you also feel things that other people will never feel. You right. know what I mean? And you have that bond and connection um, that's built between your know, brothers in arms that is stronger than, than any bond that I've really ever felt. And so in that sense, you have that. But yes, y- you do, you miss out on a lot. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It is a great sacrifice you're taking. And, and I was always... Um, for the most part, like, I mean, maybe I had a girlfriend now and again, but like a, a, a pretty single person as far as like yeah. independent in the sense, like I don't have a wife and kids and right. stuff like that. And so those guys and girls, um, that left 
you know, their immediate family, spouses and children, like that's a whole nother level of sacrifice. Totally. You know? And so I almost, that was part of the reason I wanted to go back while I was in college and still serve a little bit because um, I always had this idea that if I was volunteering for this time, maybe somebody that had a wife and kid Mm. that wasn't able to spend that much time with them, Maybe they got a summer off because I volunteered or oh, something like that. You I know what that. I mean? Yeah. Also, I wanted to go over there because I really did. Yeah. <laughs> I love the mission and it's like, yeah. there's also that selfish reasons too. But um, that made me feel better about, about it. You yeah. know? I'm like, you know what? At least giving somebody a break, hopefully. Um, so I'm I'm totally like picking up on the inspiration behind MVP, which we're going to mm-hmm. talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Um, all right. Did you get any credits um, from serving that that benefited you college wise? I did. Yeah, I had. I got to start college as a sophomore because some of the training I went through in uh, the special forces that applied to uh, college applied as college credit or whatever. Mm. Um, so, like for instance, language. I took Korean when I was in special forces. Everybody has to wow. learn language, so I didn't have to take language when I went back to school. Mm. Um, I believe. Maybe some history, like they counted military history or something like that. Nice. Um, I'm trying to think what else. It was a few few courses though. So I was able to start as a sophomore, um, which helped because that was the only way. I, I did get my master's degree while I was at school and playing. Um, but the reason is, you know, midway through my junior year of football, I was already starting my graduate degree. So I was able to kind of get that moving. I did not know you had a master's yeah, degree. I had a master's in degree. In what? Advertising. What? I know. I didn't know that's a thing. I don't think I'm ever going to work in advertising, but that's okay. I learned a lot. I mean, I knew I wanted to work in film and TV. Yeah. So part of that was um, there's a production element to the advertising world. And also, like, you learn a lot about development and sales and, Mm -hmm. you know. The psychology behind dealing with people. That's just, it's all important. It all relates. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I wanted to go to film school. Um, at Texas while I was playing, but, uh, you know, and I applied and I was like on the list, but they asked me if I was going to keep playing football and I said, yeah. And it's just tough because they expect you to really commit to like, yeah, of course, you know, this the filmmaking Texas, side of things. University of Texas. Okay. Yeah. No, never A&M. Ew. Okay. <laughs> Longhorns, baby. No. Uh, but, and it's got a really good film program, really mm. good film and television program, but it was like. You know, the fact that I was still playing football, I wouldn't have worked. I, I wouldn't have, I would have just, I would have taken somebody's spot in that program yeah. that probably deserved it and was going to put more time in. And as it turns out, I think the advertising path was actually better for me because I learned more about the business side of things and development, mm-hmm. which is really important, um, especially if you're trying to work in production. Do you think it taught you um, how to be influential? You know, given that so much of advertising is psychological. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, it's a good, it's an interesting way of thinking of it. Definitely, yeah, how to like speak to what maybe a buyer wants and get what you want at the same Mm -hmm. time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there is like a psychology behind that and there definitely is, um, yeah, there's, there's, you got to find creative ways to make everybody happy to like achieve what you want, like the stories you want to tell, for instance. Yeah. But also like get somebody excited that's going to maybe pay for it <laughs> you know what i mean well damn and you just did this with your movie yeah i mean we we uh we're going out in like a couple weeks to go shoot this thing it's a ultra low budget thriller in the in western massachusetts in the sticks <laughs> you know it's gonna be snowing and cold and miserable but it's gonna be really fun because there's a bunch of um people working on it that are very talented very creative 
uh, that are basically working for nothing up front because we believe in this idea yeah. that we can just we can, we can take next to nothing and make something out of it that's pr- pretty damn cool. And so we're heading out there. It's a bunch of, it'll be 10 veterans working on the project actually. Dope. Uh, behind and in front of the camera. From MVP? Um, not from MVP, kind of from all over the country. Just okay. different ones I've come across and travels. And like a lot of them, for instance, we've got a guy named TJ who is a drone operator, mm. but also an actor. So like he's going to come out and do all our drone stuff. Uh-huh. And then he's also playing a role in it. So like the, the two birds with one stone is huge for this production. Like yeah. We're trying to find as many pieces of that puzzle to fill because there's a lot that needs to get done. All right. So then you did call. So you started college late. What age were you? 29. 29. So that it, this is so crazy that you because I feel like colleges don't really. Um, and this is just totally my perception. I feel like they look for for kids who are who are coming out of high school because it seems as though they are more likely to complete their degree. Right. Because then they're they're following. Yeah. Well, I think the reality is probably people older than 18 to 22 are more likely to finish their degree. But a lot of them just don't go to school. Interesting. You know, it's. Because of life. Once you've been out and working in the world, it feel it does feel weird to go back to college because yeah. everybody's younger. Um, you have to like stop working to do that. So unless it's like some kind of work study program or it's getting paid for mm. in some way, or you know for sure, like for instance, if you've already got you know a a, a degree in nursing or something, but you're like, you know what, I want to be a surgeon. You obviously have to go back to medical school. Mm-hmm, you know, to mm-hmm. like whatever. So. Situations like that, it's different. But for someone like me, kind of starting out, yeah, it's not. We're not in like the target dem- demographic, like yeah. people in their you know late twenties. But there's more and more veterans going back to school now. The GI Bill is a great opportunity. Okay. Um, they pay for your college. You also get a housing stipend. Dope. Um, so you can you know it, it's tough if you have a family. You probably have to have your your spouse has to work, mm-hmm. or you have to have supplemental income in some way, but. If you're single, if it's just you and you don't have any dependents, you can live off that. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, so you can, uh, you can, you can, a lot of people still work side jobs and stuff, but you can go to school and you should. Like, I think you're crazy not to take advantage of that opportunity. Totally. Um, and so what's, okay, not only did you start college late, but then you actually made the team, mm-hmm. right? So you played college football mm-hmm. and then you get recruited into the freaking NFL, yeah, I, like that I, happens I, to nobody. I got, I got, uh, I, I worked really hard to prepare for college football. Mm-hmm. Right, I had to like start training differently, um, and it was like I never played growing up, so I it was a huge learning curve in the sport too. Like I never yeah. played football; I played other sports, but uh, but I really wanted, I wanted to just give it a shot, and I was like, you know, worst case, I just get cut, and mm-hmm. then life goes on. So I get out there and um, go to tryouts, and I'm like just going really hard, and and I'm not the fastest guy or the biggest guy or the most talented in any way, but I just had I just had good motor. I kept kept going, yeah. Um, you know, would outlast everybody if it was a day where we were doing a lot of a lot of running or a lot of reps or something or whatever. You wanted it that bad, yeah. And so I got on the team, but I wasn't talented enough to start at safety like defensive back which is the position I went out for yeah so I started long snapping my sophomore year just to try to you know get a spot on the field like win a starting spot yeah and long snapping you basically are you're hiking it for field goals punts and extra points and it's a thankless job that nobody wants to do Mm. um well not nobody but very few so I had a better (laughs) chance 
at that, and I ended up being decent enough at it to to start at three for three years at Texas, and then um, I came up here after college and finished my degree with an internship out here, and then that's when I met uh, Jay Glazer at Unbreakable, and you know he him and his staff trained me at the gym there and got me that opportunity uh, with the Seahawks, and then I was in training camp with the Seahawks and played in the preseason and. Um, I was the oldest rookie in in the modern era in NFL history. Oh I man! Guess. And I was the oldest guy in the team as a rookie. That was the weirdest part. Of me, <laughs> you know? Totally, like the new guy, the rookie, and he's like the old man. So, okay, so then, okay, so walk us through your experience. Now you're in the NFL, which is a dream for millions and millions of people. Mm. Was it like as glorious as we all perceive it to be? I mean, what, what... I thought so, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I thought it was pretty incredible. It's like. Everything's kind of first class, and I mean, some of these guys, most of these guys are making really good money yeah. um, to play a game, although they are very committed to it. You know, they work really hard. It's not like they don't earn that money, mm. and the sport, you know, generates a lot of uh, a lot of income, a lot of money, yeah, a lot of dollars, so um, I think they do, in a lot of ways, deserve that big piece of the pie. It's hard for a lot of people to understand that. Even yeah. people that I serve in the military, you know, they're just like, oh, these babies are making money to play a game and blah, blah, blah. But I'm right. like, yeah, it's more, it's not exactly what you think. Um, but I liked it. I like hard work. I like structure in that way. Mm. And it had all of those things. So it helped me with the transition from the military because I had that locker room again. I mm. had the brothers in arms and a different type of way I mean it's not war but you know you're going out to, to uh, you have a specific mission and purpose and you know you got to beat the man across from you on the line of scrimmage and yeah um, if you don't do your job you set the team up for failure you know what mm-hmm. I mean so like all those things sort of applied to, yeah to you like that mm-hmm. you thrive under pressure I think I do I didn't always yeah but it's, it's because I put myself in pressure situations time and time again Smart. there you go you guys seeing the theme today so I can't remember which um, I, it might have been Tyron Woodley actually that said you know I don't get it was Tyron he said I don't get paid the big bucks for my one fight I get paid for all of the years that I actually didn't get paid mm. you know that's so a, it's, that's a good quote yeah it's all the prep yeah um, all right so now did you you know I don't know a ton about the the behind the scenes for the NFL. So Chris, when Chris McCain was on the show, you know, he explained that he was more of an independent contractor, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to actually being signed. So what was your situation like? Yeah, I mean, every player essentially is that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you eventually do get signed to a team, but the contract can pretty much expire at any moment. You know, they can cut you. Yeah. Um, it's Or you can have an injury and that's it. There's just a lot a lot of uh, unknowns yeah and the typical career is only three years for an NFL player like wow. average. because of the injuries because of the competition just the high turnover rate mm-hmm. it's just it's tough you new know? talent coming through exactly yeah and everybody wants it you yes know? It's, it's like they want your spot yeah so that's it's very hard and like that is um, and there's so many people to Tyron's point about yeah. you know I'm getting paid for the games I'm playing now from all the hard work of years before. There's so many people, people that put all that time in and energy and, you know, they, they, they invest their life to it and they never get it. Yeah. Never get the shot. So way more than, than ones that do. You right. know what I mean? So yeah, but it's, it's a tough one. I mean, there's a lot of people that are uh, a lot of players that 
are sort of bitter at the way that it works, at the way that the NFL is structured mm. and you know the non-guaranteed contracts and all those things. And I, I understand that. I do understand that. But at the same time, like I spent years in the military. There's people that spend far more than that. Mm. It's life or death and you don't get paid crap. So like I right. also have that perspective of like I hear you. I yeah. do hear you. <laughs> But like, there's a lot of people all over the world, not just people in the military, that will never get an opportunity like that. And you have to be grateful and understand, even with the, the bitterness and maybe you didn't get treated so well. And I, I, you know, yeah. Regardless of all that, like life is tough. Life is hard. Mm-hmm. You know, we gotta we gotta move past and understand that. Like for everybody, there's life's just not easy. Right. You know? Even for the wealthy. Even for the wealthy. Right. We all know? assume like, oh, if we're rich, then then life would be so great and easy. But yeah. there's still feelings and obstacles yeah, and complications. Nothing, yeah. yeah. Monetary anything has nothing to do with your happiness. Right. You know what I mean, it really doesn't. Okay, we. I don't even think we're halfway through your story. There's so much this guy does. You I'm guys, this sure is a beast. Um, no, but I have questions you don't know about. Uh-oh. Uh, but first, I want to do a quick shout out to my sponsor, Titan CBD. Um, this guy, uh, he is a scientist. He owns a DEA-approved lab, and um, you know he's been in the industry for 20 years. And so he created these nanocrystals that are um, delicious, and they fizz in your mouth and they work super fast. So um, today I'm actually going to have my photographer Mello try some and um, my engineer Mike try some and I'm going to do it with you guys and let's see. So obviously we're all crackling away over here. (laughs) Um, What I love about what I love about Titan CBD and my experience in particular is that um when I get anxious or really stressed out, it kind of just takes the ease off. And like, I don't like the pressure off, you know, and I really don't like to take stuff. Um, I also have a hard time with caffeine. And Mello, you were telling me that you've had an experience with like, tell us about your experience with caffeine and CBD. So yeah, the last show we were on, actually, I had drank a a latte. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I totally regret that because in a year doing back, behind the scenes photography it's kind of hard when your hands are shaking yeah. trying to take still shots, <laughs> you kind of you know, need to steady hands the shots perfect so mm. i'd say within 10 15 minutes after taking this i actually mellowed out pretty good like compared to how i was feeling yeah shout out to tiny cbd yes yeah. you guys are up to something right now you guys <laughs> keep at it so um but did it did it take away the energy that the coffee gave you or did it just like neutralize your um, edge? To be honest, I don't want to say it took the energy. It kind of offset, you know, mm-hmm. I felt a little like antsy, you know, fingers unstable. Yeah. And once I took it, kind of had like, it just mellowed me out. I don't know. That's probably the best thing I can say. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about the caffeine I had just took prior to the show. Right. So you weren't distracted anymore. You were yeah, ready. You were able to focus on the job exactly. you're here to I do. Exactly. I was on go mode. Go <laughs> mode. Take these shots in. You know what I mean. All right, Mike. Um, we are. I'm gonna let this settle in into your system since it's your first time, and mm-hmm. then I'm gonna check back with you and see what your experience is. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Back to Nate Boyer, the beast. All right. So we've gotten through his NFL career, guys. Um, there's so much more that he's doing now. So the NFL kind of led to these opportunities of hosting and now you're doing a bunch you've been on TV you've acted before we get into your hosting stuff just list some of the acting things you've done uh I, I oh 
my first uh, first opportunity, sort of bigger bigger opportunity, was on the movie Twelve Strong, which is about the first Green Berets that went into Afghanistan after nine eleven. Mm. And so, like that first scene I did was with uh, Michael Shannon and Chris Hemsworth, which are uh, they're two you know big A listers. Yeah. And so I was a little nervous going into that, and you know, Mike, I think Michael Shannon's a really good actor. Um, but it was it was cool. It was, a, it was just being thrown into the fire. It was a good opportunity, and you know, it wasn't that I just had like three lines or something like that. Yeah. And then a little after that, I got to work on this movie called Den of Thieves, which mm. is really cool. And, yeah, you know, Tyron yeah. was talking about that movie, and yeah. people really like it. I have to watch it. Yeah, they're making a second one. Okay. Um, Are you going to be in it? I don't think so. I don't think it would make sense. Okay. My my part in the storyline, I would love to. Yeah. And actually, the director uh, Christian Gutierrez is a really good guy. He actually set up uh, a screening. Um, just for veterans that he had me host in LA, and he mm. like drove all the way out to it from from way out west, just because he's like, I gotta, I, I gotta be there, and he like left a meeting early and Aww. through traffic, and then he got like emotional just being there. It was super cool. That's so um, nice. But the same thing with Twelve Strong, like it was just that team uh, and, and community, like from the production side, like they had. Uh, we had an event for like MVP that they hosted, yeah, um, to kind of screen that movie. So like. My, to, for my first two movies to have like that kind of support and yeah. like the support of just the veteran community and being a part of that was super cool. Um, and then uh, I, I got uh, an opportunity to be on This Is Us, hmm. uh, I think the next year. And then this last year, I did uh, like a recurring guest star role on uh, Mayans. Which Mayans, is the, yeah, yes. which is the Sons of Anarchy. Been recording off. that one. So is it? Um, is it? Can I watch now? Because you know, I just wanted to like let it all record and yeah. then binge so are we yeah. ready ready to do go it. do it okay guys i'm gonna watch and then i'll report back but i'm excited to see you on the screen appreciate that yeah it's it was it, it was just cool all those are cool opportunities really lucky and um i i i enjoy acting i don't love sitting around all day like yeah. waiting <laughs> for that opportunity so that's why i'm excited to be on the production side yeah. for this next project the because action. Yeah, like you're, I'm involved, I'm involved in everything, you know, mm -hmm. and like making sure things are happening. And when, when something goes wrong, like it's, it's, it's me that has to step up and like find a solution. Yeah. Instead of just like waiting for other people to sort of fix the issue. You so. are not like a passive person at all. You like to really get in there and get your yeah. hands dirty. But what I love about you, I'm noticing a trend is you're not this like, Rar control freak and you don't need you don't take a lot of credit for the stuff that you do i just know this about you personally um it's cool that like you even though you want to be the solution fix person the solution finder you are still like collaborative within your approach it's just things are so much easier with a team <laughs> you know what i mean yeah but the but to have Especially the skill set to to be able to delegate it's not easy no you're right you know, it's, not, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. But that's why you want to hire the best people possible. Yeah. So you to can work be, around you feel easy to delegate. Yeah, just yeah. trust. You want to. It's all about trust. Yeah. You know? OK, so now let's move on to your hosting career. You're doing so much. So there's Indivisible on the NFL Network and then you're co-hosting Fantasy Football Live for Yahoo Sports. Um, tell us about that. Yeah. Indivisible's awesome. I mean, I, I, I co-created the show. Nice. I do. That was my first sort of um opportunity to produce something that's yeah. like a consistent series so i was an ex executive producer on that as well but it's an anthony bourdain style show that uh you know we go to different nfl cities and we study uh, and learn about the culture uh, issues that are relevant to those cities but how football 
and players and fans and community leaders, how they all come together to tackle some of those issues. You yeah. know? And football is sort of that through line and, and uniting force in a lot of these places uh, that you just never would have thought. Uh, a lot of that, it, it, it's been a similar theme in a few different cities, bringing together uh, underserved communities uh, and law enforcement, you know, and mm. trying to build those bridges where there's just not great communication and, you know, bad things have happened. And, you know, people are, a lot, a lot of people are very upset with, with, with law enforcement in a lot of those ways, yeah. but that doesn't, um, we can't ignore the fact that most people that are um, policing are, are really good people and they make yes. a lot of sacrifices and they're trying to do it right. And they're trying to mend uh, the the relationships in these communities. You yes. know? So that's been something we, we tackled that issue in LA and Chicago, recently in Miami. Um, and it's really cool, the creative ways that, that these people in these communities and law enforcement are working together uh, to try to make things better. I love that. I love that you're taking the time to do this stuff. You never chase the money. You, like if I look at your story, it's always been like about the passion. Too. That's not bad. Of course, <laughs> it's but that comes, you know. Yeah, you got to love what you're doing or trying to do, even yeah. if it's not paying at all. Like that is way more rewarding than you know the numbers in the bank account. Mm-hmm. So, Indivisible is it? Is it season two now? Yeah, season two. We just wrapped season two. Uh, it'll start airing on NFL Network first week in January nice. through the playoffs, leading up to the Super Bowl. So this year we did New Orleans, New York, Cleveland, and Miami. Mm, uh, I love it. So they're, they're, it'll be cool. I'm excited. I'm excited to watch. Yes. Yeah, so how can we tune into that? Um, it'll be on NFL Network. I believe the dates are this January 6th, 13th, 20th, and 27th, which I think are Monday nights. But okay. I need to like double check. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if those are absolutely set in stone. But if you but if you miss them on TV, you can also go to NFL.com slash Indivisible. Okay. You can watch last season. That's still up online right now. Nice. Um, and then you can watch this next season as we get into January. Isn't it true that if you make it past the first season into a second, then you're pretty much like good to go from there as long as you don't screw it up? Mm, no. <laughs> or do I mean, you think every season anytime. is a challenge? Every season you got to like, the whole goal is obviously creating a great product and like something that people want to watch, something that's interesting. And also for me, something that teaches us all something, mm. uh, you know, that helps us gain perspective um, and learn about, our country, our community, our world, whatever. Um, but of course, you want to do it again. So, like, yeah, it's it, yeah. You got to you got to make something great, but you got to you got to find a way to get that audience. Because if you don't have the audience, like mm. that's when it goes away. Even if it's like that makes sense. Even if it's the dumbest show on earth, if it has an audience, they're gonna do it again. Yes, you know. And you well, see them out there. There's oh yeah, a lot of dumb shows in this on day TV. and age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, social media has done that for us, right? A lot of things have done that. Reality TV has done that for us. I mean, it's true. True. People like to see. I think sometimes people just like to feel better about themselves by watching somebody else look like a complete fool. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not what our show's about at no. all. No, um, we want to inspire people to go, you know, be change makers and yeah, and uh, yeah. Okay, awesome. So now tell us about Fantasy Football Live. So Fantasy Football Live is uh, a show that I, I I do sort of a a guest co-host appearance. I don't know what you call it. Yeah, uh, every Sunday morning. <laughs> And it's funny, like I was so against fantasy football for years when it first started Why? becoming popular. I was just like, man, you're ruining the game. Like I want to watch, I want to watch the team. You know, I want to uh-huh. watch my team play another team. I don't want to be worried about um, the guy I'm playing against in fantasy. Maybe he's got the quarterback on his team uh-huh. uh, that I of the team I'm pulling for. So I want my quarterback to do bad all of a sudden. So I win my fantasy right. game. It just it complicates it messes with the, the game. juju. 
But one thing it has done is brought an entire new fan base. You know, people that wouldn't normally watch football to the game. And at the same time, it is fun to do. I'm not going to lie. It's fun to do. Like, I've got my team now. I grew up a 49ers fan. Yeah. And so next week, I'm going to be in the championship. (laughs) Melo's giving you props. Next week, yeah, go Niners. Next week, I'm going to be in the championship of my fantasy league. Uh-huh. The other guy I'm playing against has like three 49ers on his roster. I already looked it up. So I'm just like, man, I'm going to have to pull against the Niners. Well, those players, those specific players. Yeah. Because I want to win my fantasy league, but I also want the 49ers to win. So it's complicated. But but anyway, the show is really fun. It's cool. I, I, I get to uh, I get to go in and I have my picks for the week. You know, my players that I think are are stars that are going to struggle and other players that are sort of no names are going to have a big week in fantasy because of their matchup and all that nice and uh yeah you just you go in and you take your shots and sometimes you're wrong but you know i'm usually right yeah (laughs) (laughs) not really i love it i'm 50 50. okay so we have just a little bit left and so much to go over Uh, tell us about your inspiration behind mvp i know i know you have a partner on that but given your experience in in the army um, was this your idea? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was, it was after, after the experience with the Seahawks and then coming back, uh, to Los Angeles, I thought about maybe joining the mil- going back into the military. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what I was going to do cause I didn't have the team anymore. That was the first time I really felt that, that loss. Void. And, yeah, exactly. The void. That's a good word. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, in that transition. And it was funny, like, you know, I mentioned, uh, Jay a little bit earlier, um, he was talking to a former player who was going through a really dark time because he didn't have the game anymore, you know, and he wasn't like leaving the house and it was like mm. bad stuff. And I was having the same conversation with uh, a, a person in the military, you know, a veteran yeah. who's like, he's no longer wearing the camouflage, like that uniform, you know, yeah. the jersey or the camouflage to identify with. And so both of these guys are going through that same struggle and we put those two guys together and had them train together and kind of share each other's experiences. And it was really cool to see that that relationship sort of blossom, but also for both of them to gain perspective from the other's experience of like, okay, not only am I not alone, I'm not alone as a human being with other people that experience loss, experience mm. that lack of purpose and like figuring out who we are and having to reinvent yourself. So it's not just me as an athlete or it's not just me as a veteran, it's just a human experience, you know? And it's extreme circumstances yeah. on both sides. Um, one of them's life and death, one of them's not, but it's like very few people get to be a professional athlete or get to, you know, go to war and, and, and have that experience. And a lot of the, there's a lot of hardship and pain and struggle within both of those experiences too. Yeah. Um, but there's the camaraderie and the brotherhood and the locker room. Um, and then I, that uniform and then boom, you're in your twenties, thirties, if you're lucky and it's gone, it's over and Mm. you'll never be that again. And that's really scary. You know what I mean? So it was like understanding because I felt that from both sides. You know, yeah, you got to experience both sides. sides. So, and if you guys don't already know, MVP stands for Merging Vets and Players, which is the perfect name. That's a great name. It's, it's a great, a great name. name because they both experience that sense of loss, yep. and you're bringing them together, and like you said, showing them that you know we're people at the end of the day, exactly. people experiencing loss, and people that can be there for one another. And so what does this look like? I, you guys meet every Wednesday, right? We meet every Wednesday night in the gym. We train together. 
uh, for a while, get that sweat going. Yeah. You know, uh, release some endorphins, and then we hang out on the wrestling mats afterwards, and it's just an open forum. We talk about stuff just like you would in a locker room. Yeah. Um, we try to structure it a little bit more, you know, and like those that are going through something tough, we want them to open up, be vulnerable. Yeah. And then other people in the room, um, we're all coaches. We're all coaching each other up. If you know, if you have something um, that to 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 add to the conversation, or if like somebody's talking about an issue they're dealing with and you've experienced that before and you've been through that mm. and you know what that feels like and you knew, you know what works for you, we encourage you to step up and sort of be that person to share your your experiences mm-hmm. and how it helped you, you know? And uh, sometimes it's just people need to vent, you know? You yeah. gotta get stuff off your chest. And sometimes it's good stuff. We want people, you know, we want people to come in there and like share their victories too. Mm. Like tell us, you know? Yeah. Because a lot of us, like we have those good days and we're like, feel like we don't have anybody to share it with. Yeah. You know, and this is like a whole team family yeah uh, it's a family that, that supports you and and they want to hear when you're doing well they also want to hear when you're doing not so well because we want to get you out of that place right so so um is it essentially kind of like a, a little bit of a sponsor system do you have a buddy system where if one person is feeling off they have like a go-to not necessarily because we have such a big team yeah um i think sometimes people gr- guys and girls in there will gravitate towards another mm. person and sort of build that but we don't have necessarily like this is your person you need to report to if something's going bad. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We encourage everybody to like, I mean, reach out to the whole team or reach out to a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. You know, just let us know when you're struggling, but also like, let us know if you want us to join you uh, in some event you've got coming up or whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we want to be there. And I love it. And uh, yeah, it's it's fun. Our team's like none other, and we're growing. We've got a chapter in obviously in L.A., but also Las Vegas. At Randy Couture's gym. Oh, nice! Up in Chicago, in Atlanta, and next uh, next one will be New York, which is a big move. So. I love it. I love New York. It's one of the best cities. I haven't made it out there um, for the holidays yet because, like, man, I was freezing when I went in April it's one cold. time. It's cold right so now. I can't even imagine December. But I've been there three times in the last month, and it was cold yeah. every time. <laughs> every time. Okay, so you know, on the show, oh, oh quickly tell us about Water Boys. Um, yeah. So Water Boys uh, was started by Chris Long, yeah. who's Howie Long's son, um, but more importantly, uh, two-time Super Bowl champion, yes. played in the NFL for 11 or 12 years, and even more importantly, started the uh, through the Chris Long Foundation, he started this Water Boys initiative, which brings clean water to East Africa. Mm. And his original goal was he wanted to dig 32 clean water wells that are solar-powered, self-sustaining, mm. um, deep bore wells, like legit incredible uh, water wells that serve thousands and thousands of people. He wanted to build 32 representing the 32 NFL teams. Oh, well it's, it's already happened, you know, and he's already raised, he's already served, I think a quarter of a million people wow. and raised, you know, over a million dollars. And so the, the bar just keeps getting set higher and yeah. higher, you know? Um, but Chris is an incredible guy. He was actually Walter Payton man of the year last year nice. at the ESPYs. And yeah, so waterboys.org is the site for that. Mm. And something we do every year, which really brings the veteran community and these uh, NFL players together, is we we have a, a team that goes out to climb uh, Kilimanjaro. Mm. And so we, they climb Mount Kilimanjaro to work together, and we all raise money for clean water uh, wells within uh, that trip. It's like sort of the trip is you know, the, the prize that we get to experience at the yeah. end, but it's also like it's a way to raise awareness when they hear – Oh, there's a group of vets and NFL players going out to climb Kilimanjaro and like some of the vets are maybe missing a limb and like 
these yeah. players are they're big guys going up this mountain like what is this all about you know and then they find out they oh they're doing it to raise money for clean water mm. it's just a really cool way to raise more awareness and more funds to get more wells dug i love it i love i love seeing people um use their talents and resources for good yeah there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of athlete, professional athletes that do a lot for the community mm. and the world um and we do talk about them some but you know, you can never talk about them too much because they use their platform. A lot of them use their own funds as well to mm. do that. So it's pretty cool. Incredible. Okay, we have just a few minutes left. And um, I want to do a recap on what my folks over here are feeling on Titan CBD. So, I mean, I'm obviously chilling. <laughs> but Mello, give us your thoughts, your feedback. What are you feeling today? Uh, same feeling from last time, to be honest. Mm. Um, I don't know if you noticed. I got a little quiet. <laughs> Um, yeah, man, this CBD stuff is uh, pretty gnarly. Um, I'm looking forward to the future of this. I know it's just up and coming, but yeah, yeah. I'll give it a couple more years and it'll be a form of recovery for athletes worldwide. Yeah, okay. I think so, too. I think it's going to be huge in combat sports especially. Yeah, what do you think, Mike? Uh, I love it. Uh, I, l- I usually take CBD a good amount, and this is my by far my favorite way of taking it in. Wow, okay. Like the tinctures and all that stuff's all right, but it always tastes weird. This is like fun. Yeah. It go- I feel like you feel it way quicker. The under your tongue. Uh, is way- Subbling well, yeah. Yeah, it's really smart, and it tastes good. It's actually like, I don't know, like I take multivitamins and everything usually, and like finding a fun way to take something mm. is so awesome because then you get a little excited to take it, mm. and then it is a nice like rather than like, you know, this thing you kind of forget or dread, it ends up being something you look forward to taking, which is nice. I love that. Okay. See, I learn something new every time I, I do this. Okay. Titan CBD. Um, I'll let you guys know when it hits the market. It will happen very soon. We have just a few minutes left. And I, um, you know, you're such an insightful man, Nate Boyer. I want to know if you could just briefly tell us what would you say is your biggest accomplishment? Man, biggest accomplishment. I mean, I think it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't That's know what it, I don't know what it's going to be. Um, That's actually brilliant but, because uh, then it's like you know you're you're just you're pushing forward and you're right. like there's gonna there's bigger out there even though you've done so much. Right. I mean, I mean, just honestly being a part of the MVP team is huge. Mm. It really is. Yeah. I mean, just so that's that's big for me. Okay. All right. Now you know. Part of growing, like you said, is failing. And I say failure in quotes because it's really a learning experience. Right. What would you say was your biggest failure? <sighs> biggest failure. I mean, you know, get, I mean, getting cut from the NFL, mm. honestly. like Does that still I mean, eventually you? it was going to happen, but it happened quicker than I wanted. Yeah. And I would have liked to play a little bit more. And, mm. you know, but, um, yeah, it's... It is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is, and it led you to MVP, which is your baby. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I mean, I, I really, I at the same time of saying like that was a disappointment, I still wouldn't change it. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, okay. Now, what insights and advice would you like to share with the listeners? Oh man, you know, one of the greatest pieces of advice we got, I got during an MVP session from a fighter mm. from Uriah Hall. Okay. You know, and uh, it was really funny at the time. But the more I've thought about it, it's very true. And his piece of advice was not only just be who you are. He's like, he, he said, literally, if you're a douchebag, be a douchebag. Okay. <laughs> but be a really good douchebag. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, 
and it, and he was being funny at the time and in, in the moment of course everyone was cracking up and all that but i was thinking about that and like that applies for everything obviously if you're being something terrible <laughs> you know if you're yeah. hurting people don't be that yeah that's wrong stop that's being incorrect. a murderer you know do not be a great murderer no. <laughs> but like find out who you are you know what i mean and yeah. sometimes it's, it's like whether that's a nerd or that's you know, uh, uh, a, a badass or whatever, mm. um, what you feel comfortable as, what you, you know, aspire to be, but also a little bit of like what you were sort of created to be. Mm-hmm. Like let the universe dictate that a little bit. And once you sort of grasp that, and, and we're never going to fully know, I don't think, exactly who we are. You yeah. know, there's always that fine line of like where we are and where we want to be. Sure. But that's sort of who you are. I think that, that, middle, that middle ground between those two. And then just be the best that. You know what I mean? Mm. Don't try to copy anybody else. Don't try to be, you know, a, 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 a Uriah or a Nate or a whoever. Mm-hmm. Like just be you and be the best you. Um, that's what inspires people. And that's the people that we want to be around. You know, when we can tell somebody's trying to be something else, yeah, we even if it's a good it. thing, it's like, even if it's like a, a, you know, an honorable thing, if it's not them, it just, it's weird. It's like inauthentic and uh-huh. we, we don't, we don't want to be around that. It's we don't a little off putting. Yeah. So yeah. just be yourself, you know, be confident. Uh, even and own all the mistakes and the stupid stuff you did um, that made you who you are. It doesn't determine who you uh, will be in the future. You know yeah. what I mean? But like that, that all that stuff made you. So don't run from that either. Mm, I love it. Be who the F you are. Yes. Thank you, Nate Boyer. Thank I'm you. so glad you were able to make it on the show finally, guys. We've been trying for months. <laughs> Um, it worked out. It's worked out perfect. I appreciate you. I thank you for being a good friend to me. Of course. And um, yes, uh, give us uh, your Instagram handle. At Nate Boyer 37. Okay. And you guys can find me at The Jenna Ben Show. Mello is... At Big Dog Mellow Diaz, all together. Dog D-A-W-G. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> all right, guys. The show plays uh, five times every week. You can catch us for the first time on Tuesday at 8 p.m., all Pacific Standard Time. So 8 p.m. on Tuesday, Thursday at 9 a.m., Friday at 9 p.m., Saturday at 5 p.m., and Sunday at 7 p.m. Thank you so much for the love. Guys, you keep me going every week. Love the DMs and the support. Um, I look forward to the next one. (laughs) 